0: Welcome to Keep 100 Radio. I'm your host, Lissy Pointer, type one diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles & Spoons Health & Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including lessons we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from experts that I trust inside the community, so you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Dexcom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements and resorting to finger perks. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help. Us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out Stingrip at stingrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code Lissy, L-I-S-S-I-E at checkout. Hello everyone, welcome back to T100 Radio. We're so excited for this episode because we are talking with Amanda Sipbridge. I actually met Amanda earlier this year. We found out that we we're both from New Jersey and instantly had to connect and it's just very like when you think of synchronicities and your journey, That is Amanda. Like we, I feel like we're like diabetes twins in a weird way, but to give you some background on Amanda, Amanda is a registered dietitian and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes almost 10 years ago. During the early stages of her diagnosis, she felt herself going down a path of restriction and obsession, which left her feeling weighed down and consumed by her diabetes diagnosis. She created freedom to enjoy her life without diabetes staying in the way and knew there had to be a way to find her love for food once again. Amanda ultimately decided to pursue a career as a registered dietitian to teach others living with diabetes and their families how to manage their blood sugars without giving up the foods that they love. Amanda's approach gives you tools that incorporate prioritizing yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically so you can navigate any scenario that life with diabetes throws at you. Amanda, welcome to Keep 100 Radio. We're so excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know that we just kind of did a overview of your journey and what you do but do you mind you know introducing yourself a little bit and sharing just a little bit about you
1: yeah so my name is amanda uh i am a registered dietitian in new jersey i live literally 20 minutes away from lizzie (laughs) um so as a dietitian i work with other type ones and their families and I'm also an amateur cook, as I like to say, I love watching like Food Network and stuff. I am a complete obsession with dogs. I am a total dog mama. Lizzie can see my two dogs right now. Yep. <laughs> and people actually don't know this about me, but I absolutely love doing like puzzles and card games. I'm a total like puzzle card game nerd. No way. <laughs> like Mike, my, my boyfriend thinks I'm a total grandma because I'll be like sitting on my phone playing like solitaire or like sudoku or like some sort of like puzzle on my phone for like fun and he's just, like what's that fun but I can totally see that I
0: love it <laughs> sitting doing puzzles of like food. I, can see that. <laughs> I love it and you also make like bomb Mocktails, like we had our mocktail night with Keep One Hundred, that you came
1: in as a guest, and those Mm -hmm. were so good. Yeah, so I love getting like exper. I like going into the kitchen with like experimenting. So especially now that it's like the fall and it's like soup season, I've been like posting soups that I've been making on Instagram, and people have been messaging me, asking me like, "Oh, do you have the recipe?" And I'm like. So usually what I do is just dump everything into a pot and bring it to a boil. But like, let me try (laughs) to like tell you guys what I did. So I'm like, this is very, very rough. I'm like, just keep adding things until it tastes good. (laughs) You usually made (laughs) a book, that's all I can say.
0: (laughs) And you recently actually wrote a book, right?
1: Yes, I did. Um, This is very new and exciting. It was always kind of like a bucket list idea that I had. And I feel like sometimes the universe works in very mysterious ways. And I had the opportunity to write a book about caregivers and supporting those with diabetes. And it was really enlightening to take that perspective, because I was diagnosed with type one at 18. So I took on my management from the start, like my parents, really just learned how to do injections. When I was in the hospital, they both did like two or three each and then like never did it ever again. So being able to really look into how diabetes truly impacts our relationships and those that support us and bringing real ways that can make diabetes easier by having a supportive person in your life, I think was incredibly, helpful, um, both for me living with diabetes. And then I think it's going to be a really helpful resource to bring to the community as well.
0: Yeah. It's so important because like, yes, you're a registered dietitian, but you're also a person living with diabetes. So I think addressing that emotional weight that kind of comes with it and how people around you can, you know, support you and love you in the process is just, it's really important. And there's not a lot of resources for those caregivers. So I'm really excited for, Yeah. I mean, I have my copy. I'm excited to refer (laughs) other people to the book, but if you haven't gotten it, um, actually, did you say the title of it?
1: Can you mind? It's the caregiver's guide to diabetes, practical advice for supporting your loved one.
0: we will put the link and the title in the show notes too for everybody. But we actually have a very similar diagnosis story. So as you were just kind of saying, like you were 18 and you're like, you're obviously your parents were pretty hands off because you were a young adult. That's really the same journey as myself as well, especially being in college. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about your
1: journey? Yeah. So I was a senior in high school. It was about three months before I was graduating and supposed to go off to college and it was a really big transitional period in my life. And for anyone at 18, you know, the going from high school to college is a really big transition. And then having this diagnosis come into play, it really changed a lot of things for me. Um, having sit down conversations with my parents, we decided that going out of state to school was something that wasn't in my best interest at the time because there was just so many things going, going on. So at the time, I never had a plan or desire to go to school in the state of New Jersey. I applied literally everywhere else but any school in New Jersey. So when my parents when, you know, we made this big decision, I had actually missed the enrollment period for any in-state schools. So it was either I took a gap year and, you know, waited to go to school, or I got started by going to community college because they had like a rolling admission. So that's what we did. And when I went to community college going to my orientation, I was going in with being a bio major. I always loved science, always knew that I wanted to do something with science, but didn't really know exactly what pathway i want it to take and when i was like sitting there looking at like all like the sciences major they had nutritional science and i was like wow like how cool is that i can kind of take like my love for like biology and kind of combined it with you know what i'm learning about with my diagnosis so that's what i did and ultimately it ended up being a huge blessing in disguise because the community college i went to was one of the only ones in the state of New Jersey that even offered a nutritional science um, a nutritional science option. So went from there, got my bachelor's at Rutgers, from there got my master's, did my dietetic internship, and now here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And, <laughs> oh my gosh. And um,
0: I don't think we actually mentioned it, but your brand name, your company name is? Mm-hmm. T1D Nutritionist. Yeah. So if you don't follow her on Instagram, that's her handle. I'll put that in the show notes as well. But I think it just like, obviously ties in perfectly with your, your journey, your diagnosis, but also what you, what you do for a living, which is so much more than just, just being a dietitian and assigning meal plans, which we'll definitely talk about in a little bit of, you know, what you do for your clients and how you support the type one community. But I mean, as far as, you know, in my personal experience, I, I, I think that being a young adult and being diagnosed with, you know, a disease like type one diabetes, it really shaped a lot of different areas of my life. And I'm sure that you can probably agree. I would think, Mm -hmm. do you mind speaking to like where it created that impact, especially like we're still molding as Mm -hmm. at like 18 and 19.
1: So yeah, just speaking to to how it impacted you. So in the beginning, it was a really tough transition because at the time all of my friends were like really excited about this big life transition that they were having and here I am like crying because I don't know how many carbs are in the lunch that they're serving at school so I just felt very alone early on because no one really understood what I was going through and On the outside, I still looked really healthy, so it was really hard for me to accept because you looked at me and people were like, "Oh, like you have to stop doing X, Y, and Z." And I'm like, "Yeah, like I gave up. Um, I played varsity softball in high school. I gave up. I gave up playing varsity softball my senior year because February was when we started workouts and Mm -hmm. March was like the start of the season, and I was just like, I." I was on vials and syringes. So I was just like, I felt like I really had to take a step back and really figure out what diabetes meant for me. Um, So it was really, really hard for, I would say I really struggled like the first year at least. Um, And it's never been like, you know, a straight linear progression. Like there's still days even now, like 10 years in where I'm like, whoa, like Okay, this is a lot, but I was just talking to one of my dietitian friends who she actually has celiac disease, and she works in the celiac population. And we were talking about um, the sixth stage of grief, uh, of grief, which is finding purpose and meaning. Mm. And we were talking about how if we didn't have these diagnoses. That I wouldn't have found this purpose and meaning in my life. Mm -hmm. So while in the beginning I have gone through some really tough things and really tough transitions, I think that sometimes the universe has a bigger plan for us. And without that, I wouldn't really be sitting here having this conversation today. Yeah, I 100%
0: agree with that. I actually had a similar conversation with my dad the other day, and like my perspective is that i feel like no matter what life and the universe kind of kind of brings you to where you're supposed to be regardless of what happens so for us yes that was being diagnosed with diabetes and i think you may have found your your path or your per- and I could be totally just you know assuming here but you kind of found your purpose or path a little bit more quickly than say I did I fought it for a long time I was like I can just live with diabetes and do things the way I was doing and like it doesn't need to it doesn't need to impact me in that way until about my junior year of college when I was like okay <laughs> I don't like maybe energy like and engineering isn't the right thing for me. Maybe I do want to like support people with diabetes, but you know at that point life gets in the way and out of state tuition gets really really pricey. So kept on the engineering path, but eventually it does. I feel like bring you to where you're supposed to be. So yeah, I I just 100% agree with that. I think like there is kind of that step of like finding your purpose in it, and maybe not everybody with diabetes will work in the diabetes field, but I feel like in some way or another it integrates into our life however that whatever that looks like and I don't know I think it's definitely important to to talk about yeah so yeah so when we when you were diagnosed I'm sure like there was a lot of misconceptions like I was told I was told like diabetes doesn't have to affect your life but like here's X, Y, and Z of what to do on a day-to-day basis, count your carbs, take your insulin, but do everything the same. But then on the other hand, I was also told, hey, like everything is to change how you eat, how you work out, how you navigate life, all kind of has to change. Were you kind of given the same direction or like what was, what were you told from your providers?
1: So my experience, especially with nutrition, started out on a very bumpy start straight from the beginning. Uh, when I was admitted to the hospital, it took like 10 hours to get me a bed. And I was admitted after like the cafeteria had closed and I like, didn't eat anything all day because no one wanted to give me insulin. They like, didn't know what to do with me. So I was just sitting in the ER with like a blood sugar of like, I don't know, 600 and something. And so the nurse was just like, well, we have like, you know, Peanut butter crackers, or you know, your family can go out of the hospital and find something, you know, to eat and bring it back. So, of course, the only thing that's open at like ten o'clock at night is pizza. Mm-hmm. And so, my sister goes buys like a pizza, and it's like my sister, my mom, my dad for like, you know, trying to make the best of like a really crappy situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so we're all sitting, like, on this hospital bed, and the nurse, like, walks in to, like, check my vitals, and she just, like, I will, like, never forget, like, the look that she gave me, but it was just, like, oh, whoa, like, what do you think you're doing, and I, like, had, like, the pizza, like, almost in my mouth, and she was just, like, I mean, it's fine, I guess, but, like, you start insulin tomorrow, so enjoy it, and I, like, immediately, like, lost my appetite, because Mm -hmm. I was, like, well, what like, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> does that mean, this is the last time I'm ever going to be able to eat pizza or what. And then I just received so much conflicting information. It was the dietitian that I saw in the hospital gave me like a meal plan. And I had, I had like a average high school person's diet where I was eating like bagels and pizza and like all like, you know, just stuff like that, because that's how all my friends ate. (laughs) And, uh, so she tried to like, you know, incorporate ways to, you know, still have those foods. So when I was discharged and followed up with my outpatient team, they were like, Oh no, you can't have that. And they were like, Oh, if you want a bagel, well, you have to have whole wheat toast. And if you want pizza, then you're going to have to, you know, make something like else, like a healthified pizza. And it was like, everything was just so incredibly like black and white.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was just like, I didn't know any better. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put my trust into you guys of like, if you're telling me never to eat white rice again, then I am never going to eat white rice again because I literally don't know any better. Yeah. So that was really, really tough
0: how did that like play into the years following your diagnosis? Because obviously, I mean, for those who don't, may not know you yet, like how, where you are now is very different from what I'm hearing, you know, that, that mindset. So yeah. yeah,
1: How did that, how did that play a role? So during college, it was really dark. It was only eating chicken and broccoli because anything else, I was literally, I started getting afraid of food. And I also had a very perfectionist mentality. Like I, I, I thrived on getting good grades in school. So going to my educator's office and ever having her having to take out her red pen to correct like a blood sugar was like, it just gave me pure anxiety. So I was just like, well, in order to escape that feeling of pure anxiety, I'm just not going to eat those foods. So my blood sugars never have those numbers. Mm -hmm. And it started out with like well-intentioned advice and it ended up just getting worse and worse and worse where I was then having anxiety around going out for pizza with my friends for someone's birthday or I would cancel last minute because my blood sugars were like a hot mess. And I was like, oh, I don't deserve to go out to dinner tonight. So it then started disrupting my life where I was really starting to have social anxiety. And that was incredibly difficult. Um, and then paired with being a nutrition student, I thought that learning a lot about nutrition in undergrad, there's a lot of also black and white education that goes into being a nutrition major. A lot of times we are taught about, you know, processed carbs and simple sugars, and we're taught all the like science, you know, behind all this stuff, but a lot of it is like black and white. And now I think a lot of things are like changing even with like the dietary guidelines for Americans, all that stuff is like really changing to incorporate more Balance versus like very black and white approaches Mm -hmm. to nutrition. But at the time, I was just like, all right, so I'm going to eat chicken, broccoli, a small apple, and like 12 almonds like every day. And like that was how it was going to be. And it just, I was really going down that restrictive, obsessive, and dark path. And it ultimately wasn't until I was a dietitian and I took a continuing education that was from a um, a dietitian who works in mindful and intuitive eating. And I sat down, I didn't even know I registered for this continuing education, but I sat down and it was like, I was just like, this is the best continuing education I've ever taken because I wish it was something that people told me when I was diagnosed. It was something called the blood sugar rocket. And it was like thinking about like all these different foods as like a rocket of like how like fast and far like certain foods can make your rocket or your blood sugar travel and how we can pair foods together to keep our rocket nice and steady and I was just like that is so amazing like this is so great rather than you know just don't eat brown rice or pizza or anything for like the rest of your life it was like really something that You could take and make your own, no matter what your preferences or values around food are. Right.
0: And that's a fun way, like a fun way to think about it instead Mm of, okay, rice will make your blood sugar go to 300 or like, you know, that kind of uh, like correlation causation kind of like Mm -hmm. mentality around. It's like, okay, no, like I can still have those foods. It's just a matter of how I balance them or what I can add in. Like, I love the add in mentality. Yeah. Um, like, so what did that change for you in regards of like how you approached food then?
1: So that's really like how you said, like focusing on what I can add to my diet. It literally changed everything for me. I was just like, I really put on like the curiosity goggles, if you will. And I was just like, so what would happen to my blood sugars if I, you know, added this or how would I feel? Like, would I feel hungry in two hours if I didn't eat that food? Would I feel satisfied? Would I, you know, be hungry like at nighttime if I didn't eat something with dinner? So it just added like this whole other layer that was missing for gosh, seven, six, seven years of my diagnosis. And no one had ever talked about, you know, relationship with food, food pairing, anything like that ever. And I was <laughs> like, this is incredible. And it was so refreshing that I was just like, this could literally change people's lives. Yeah.
0: It's like almost like too good to like hold to yourself. That's what, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It part of me wants to think, or like, like maybe this is another huge assumption, but I always feel like we're not taught those things because it just kind of makes the job of like the healthcare system easier. Like there's less explanations. There's less, like, it's just more black and white. You can just give the, the meal plan and go. And like, it just kind of makes everybody
1: yeah.
0: easier, which you've worked in, in mm-hmm. settings. So I could be completely off on that, but
1: no, you're, you're on the right track because <laughs> our healthcare system is incredibly broken. When I was working as a clinical dietitian, I had to see upwards of 20 patients in like an eight hour day. 20 people in an eight hour day. So do I have time to sit there and explain all the nuances of nutrition to a newly diagnosed diabetic? Absolutely not. So I do think that, you know, these worksheets sometimes that we're given, they're a really good starting point, right? Because it does make sense that we eat Consistently, and you know, it's not like we're eating the pizza and Chinese food because we really won't be able to assess what that our baseline insulin needs are, you Mm -hmm. know, like your doctor needs to know how much long lasting insulin you need how much. uh, Like what your insulin to carb ratio is and if you have really. Variabilities with your meals, it can make that a little difficult to find, so Mm -hmm. I get why they ask for more like consistency in the beginning is so you can have that nice baseline. And then, and that's what, what I think is missing is like this part is how now, once you get those baselines, how do you now integrate this into your life? And that is the biggest piece that I think is missing.
0: Right. And that's where, that's where I really think it's so important of where like, you come in as a dietitian that's outside the clinical setting, like you offer programs where you can meet people in the middle and truly bridge that gap and say, no, 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 this isn't forever. There are ways to integrate the foods that you love and like have more of that variability. And it it just creates more of that educational piece that's truly missing from that 20, 30 minute session that we get like one or two times a year because insurance Mm -hmm. just likes to say that we don't need it
1: yeah or even um I'm like in the midst of trying to get an appointment with a new endocrinologist and all I have like standing appointments but it's not until January so even if you're seeing your dietitian, like you might see them once every two weeks, but there's no handholding really big discussions in between. Mm-hmm. So I really do see that there's a huge need for people like me and you to be able to give the community that accessibility to what's missing. And that way they're able to have literally all their answers, their, um, their questions answered rather than you know just having question marks and then they go into a meeting with someone and they're like I don't even know what my problem is because that passed
0: right yeah I have this laundry list of questions and then they get into this appointment where they're so overwhelmed with numbers and questions and Mm -hmm. uh, you know all the things that come with an endocrinologist appointment so yeah I it's just a huge block that I'm really glad that you found that course and you kind of saw that open you close that open loop and now that you're able to like bring it to other people and you know even on on platforms like this where even just opening up the discussion of hey there's more i think is so important for people to to know like there's just there's so much more
1: (laughs) yeah most definitely and i know oftentimes when we're newly diagnosed we like usually go to google or facebook or social media And it can, that can also be incredibly overwhelming. So being able to find people who can help debunk, you know, the actual questions that you're having and not feed into that overwhelm and misinformation, I think is also incredibly important as well It's to find the people that are actually qualified and not just random people on the internet. Right. Which, yeah, that's a
0: whole nother issue of like, how do you filter out those people? Like, I think those people are obviously here, like, obviously we have, you know, professionals like you, and then I'm, I, I'm a coach who has another professional on my team. And there, there are other people who I trust in the community, but it's like, now you have to filter through the noise. And that's the hard part because then you're getting all of these diets and fads and detoxes in kind of like, like clouding your path of how to get to things like nutritional pairing or like intuitive eating, which is another concept that I want you to, to kind of talk about, because that's kind of your, your approach to diabetes now, right?
1: Yeah. So usually with diabetes, we think that we need to take a diet restrictive type of approach. And there are so many different, you know, fads out there that I hear it's like intermittent fasting, keto, low carb, this, that, and the other thing. And what I joke about with my clients is intuitive eating is essentially eating however you want when you want. And by that, I mean, some mornings I might wake up and want to eat keto. By lunch, I might want to eat vegan. And maybe for dinner, I want to, you know, eat high carb, high fat. I don't know. Just it's whatever your body wants, rather than listening to anyone else telling you how to eat. It's figuring out what's important to you, what your values, what your preferences are, rather than listening to a worksheet telling you exactly what to eat. And a lot of times it's intuitive eating isn't just, yeah, let me just listen to my body. My body's going to tell me eat this, not that. And it's going to be this wonderful, beautiful, rainbow, butterfly type of thing. It's really hard work because when we're diagnosed with diabetes, we lose a layer of body trust. Our bodies Mm -hmm. betrayed us in some capacity, Mm -hmm. and we have to acknowledge that. Our healthy body went and did something that it it attacked itself. So now that we have this condition, we do have some layer of mistrust. So how do we take that mistrust and lean into knowing what our body needs? Mm -hmm. So those needs are going to change day to day, meal to meal. And if we are putting ourselves in the box of a diet, it can get really, really stressful Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, oh my God, I have to eat 30 more carbs in this meal in order to eat my macros, but I am so incredibly stuffed and my blood sugar is high, but like, oh my God, what do I do? Um, if you're following, um, some type of like, I don't know, low fat diet and you want salad dressing on your salad and now you you're over your fat for the day. And now, oh my God, that's going, if I put dressing, that's going to have my insulin resistance through the roof. And then it just gets so incredibly messy. Mm -hmm. But when you're able to have this layer of body trust, Um, have a layer of actually understanding nutrition and how your body responds to different foods, different food pairings, you're able to then strengthen your dosing decisions. And it just plays in really well where you're not obsessive around the foods that you're eating and everything just seems to float together. It's really hard work. It's really hard work because Diets just give you eat this, not that. And you're like, great, this is awesome. I don't have to really do much. Cause if I do exactly what this list is telling me, my blood sugar should be fine. But what happens when they're not fine?
0: Yeah, exactly. And and like this is the thing too. Like food is so much more than just food. Like it it it, there's so much more to it than just meeting our body's needs or like fueling our body. It's Mm -hmm. a social thing. Like, you know, think about how many times that we' eat with friends we go out to eat we you know meet for appetizers where we have friends over for dinner it's a cultural thing like we have holidays we have traditions that we uphold like it's not as easy as just like maybe going to your this might be a really bad example but like going to your dentist and your dentist saying use this toothpaste followed by like this mouthwash and then like having kind of that protocol to to keep your your teeth clean. It's like, there's so much more to food than, than simple, like, okay, my body needs food. So like, I do think it's so important for us to have these options and like to meet our body where it is because there's, our body's constantly changing. Like think about the seasons changing and how foods like change with the seasons. We have hormonal changes throughout the month. Like our body just constantly needs different things and it's okay to address that for what it is
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and we're often told so many times like foods that we can't eat with diabetes and it's just incredibly empowering to be like no you can and let's let's figure this out Mm -hmm. like there's there's no black and white like I get questions all the time like what's is this good for my blood sugars like is x food good for my blood sugar and I'm like well like no one food is you know, quote unquote bad for your blood sugar, but right. like, let's take a closer look. You know, if your blood sugar is 300 or like incredibly high is eating a big giant hot fudge Sunday, really the best thing for you. The goal of eating is to always feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. So why add fuel to that fire? But if, you know, maybe your blood sugar is like on the higher end, but it's, your wedding day or you're at a wedding for a friend or something and you're getting served wedding cake. I would rather take the high blood sugar and be a part of that moment because five years from now, I'm going to remember getting like cake thrown in my face and not the fact that my blood sugar was X number. Literally. So it's being able to just like no, no decision is technically correct or right or whatever, but it's truly our intention Mm -hmm. behind it. And sometimes our intention is to feel good. Sometimes our intention is to make memories. Mm -hmm. Sometimes our like our intention is always going to change because life changes, our priorities change. So Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like is incredibly personal, you know, like I hate seafood. If you literally tell me to literally eat a pescatarian diet, I would cry. I would actually cry because fish literally terrify me. I am literally terrified of fish. So I I'm like, that would literally be the worst, the worst diet for me. Right. But I don't feel restricted, not eating fish because I actually hate it. So when you take your preferences into consideration, it's not really coming from a place of restriction. It's a preference, not really a rule.
0: Right. I like how you laid that out of like, there's preference and there's priority, and that's kind Mm -hmm. of what it should come down to. Mm -hmm. Now, my next question is kind of because a concept like intuitive eating can be, I feel kind of difficult for like people living with diabetes to confront or to gra- like to gravitate to because of, you know, we have different roadblocks, like our hunger cues shifting, depending on our blood sugars. We have to worry about the number of carbs, worry about where our blood sugars are sitting at the current moment. We have to worry about how much insulin we have on board. How do you, how do you confront that? Like, how do you mm-hmm. talk to your clients about navigating intuitive eating while shifting through the, the mess of diabetes?
1: Yeah. So one of the biggest misconceptions about intuitive eating is this aspect that people with diabetes or other chronic conditions that we can't really do intuitive eating. We have to diet in some capacity. And with intuitive eating, there's 10 principles. One of the principles is called gentle nutrition. And with gentle nutrition, it's, Leaning into what we know to be true for our internal and external knowledge. So just like how if our blood sugar is 300, you know, is that the best thing to, is a hot fudge Sunday the best thing for me to eat right now? Or can I wait until my blood sugar comes down into range? How can we utilize the aspect of nutrition gently, quote unquote, so we're not actually following a diet that's full of restriction and really treating ourselves with kindness and grace to navigate things rather than just having a eat this, don't eat that. And then you fall into this risk of feeling like a failure or guilt or shame or any of that stuff that falls into um, restrictive dieting. And it's incredibly hard I kind of tell my clients, it's almost like having like the devil and angel like on your shoulder. It's like at one on one side, you always have someone telling you like, no, you don't need that much rice. You don't need that much rice. And you know, cut back on that, cut back on that. And then you have like this angel on your shoulder that's like, you deserve to eat whatever you want. But sometimes we have to take our like internal and external knowledge and, you know, ask ourselves how much would be satisfying? Is this what I need right now? Like, can I weight to pre-bolus, can I, I, it's like pairing everything that you know to be true with nutrition and blood sugars, and it really helps you just have a better relationship with your body overall, because you're now learning different cues that were silenced for so long.
0: Yeah, no, I like that a lot, because usually, you know, we're kind of taught of like, okay, like, either, I kind of feel like it goes under a few different points of, okay, like eat every four hours or eat at the same time every day, or wait until your blood sugar is under its number to eat. Like we're kind of given those rules, but when we're allowed to just take that integrative approach of like, I know this information about nutrition. I know this information about my body. How can I pull them together to make the best decision that I can make for me in this moment? And yes, there might be some hindsight to that after of being like, okay, maybe I can change that decision slightly to maybe change the bowl's decision or maybe add something to slow down the spike a little bit. There's always gonna be that, but how do you learn those things unless you allow yourself the opportunity to try it and troubleshoot it? And I always I always tell my like my clients at least of like, I okay, like I love sushi. If sushi doesn't work for my blood sugars, I'm gonna keep, I might not eat it every day, but I'm gonna keep ordering sushi. Until I get it right. Because that's mm-hmm. something I like, I'm not going to give up my sushi just for the sake of my blood sugars. Mm-hmm. Will it be messy the first few times? Good possibility. But you know, there's a way to make it work. And it can, it can be an empowering experience instead mm-hmm. of, the, okay, I missed that. Yeah. Up.
1: Yeah, it can get incredibly discouraging when you put so much time and effort into things and then you don't get that desired outcome, you know, because even you're not purposely going to dose for sushi and be like, yeah, I'm going to dose and go up to 300. Like, that's my goal. Like, no, right. our goal is to always stay in in range. Right. But it's even how we what we do next, you know, when things don't work out and what we do next, I think is incredibly like you mentioned, like, that's the empowerment part Mm -hmm. of either you can let, because I let diabetes kind of run everything. If my blood sugars went high after sushi, I was like, it's the sushi. It's the sushi. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is the damn sushi. It's diabetes. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Instead of taking like an empowered approach and being like, okay, how can I reassess this? Mm -hmm. How can I, you know, make more, empowered or confident decisions around like my dosing, how can I strategize a bit better? And that's where working with someone who actually lives with diabetes can be really helpful because we know that not everyone's body is going to digest and absorb food differently. So when you go online and you Google how to dose for sushi, Just because someone doses for sushi one way does not mean that's how how it's going to work for you, but it's finding your own body patterns and using them so you can learn how to enjoy all the foods. And it's not easy. Trial and error is not easy, but it's definitely worth it to keep going. Yeah. It's almost easier to blame the food sometimes because mm-hmm. taking
0: that ownership can be really hard. Like that's not mm-hmm. an easy thing either, but it's also, I think the most empowering thing of when you do land it and you do nail it, then you get to take ownership for that win. Like it's kind of that double-edged sword, but it kind of helps you build. I always say it's like building a muscle, but okay. So I actually didn't write this question in our email and as it just came up, But like this whole podcast is kind of about filtering through the noise. It's about having those unconventional conversations. So if you were to list three things that you wish that you knew earlier in your diagnosis that can allow somebody else to filter through that noise or get rid of the clutter that may not be serving them in their management right now, what would you leave that to? (laughs) Give me on
1: the spot, (laughs) Lindsay. I I can give you a minute. All right. So it's things that i wish i knew when i was
0: diagnosed is that it yeah that like maybe people aren't finding on social media right now that they like or might need to dig for that
1: we can bring to the surface okay i got it all right so what i would tell people is to remove that black and white thinking around food so or just remove the black and white thinking altogether because when we're labeling our blood sugar as good or bad or carbs as good or bad, it lets everything have a, a moral or emotional tie. And when we get rid of that moral or emotional tie, that's when we're able to take more of a curiosity or experimental approach to different things. And I think that is incredibly important and something that's oftentimes really overlooked. Another thing I would say is question what you believe is true. So as you are scrolling the internet, and you come across someone's page of them, I don't know, telling you how they exercise, or showing you what they eat for breakfast, or telling you how much insulin they take, if that has you start questioning your own management, question why you believe that, and if those people are giving you any type of negative response. Like you're starting to question how you're managing, you know, maybe I should do that diet. Maybe I should do that type of exercise because it seems to work for that person. Unfollow them, just block, unfollow, mute them, do whatever you got to do to protect your space. Because I had spent so much time trying to put the puzzle pieces together of what other people were doing to make what was best for me instead of really learning what I valued in my own life and management. And I alluded to this earlier, we touched on this a little bit, but focusing on what you can add into your diet versus take away, that shift right there can open up so many doors, so many doors of being able to Enjoy happy hour with friends, date nights, so many things, because instead of focusing on just the carbs, you're able to take an abundance approach. And that is just so incredibly empowering when it comes to improving your relationship with food. Those were good answers for me throwing you on the spot. <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> I love it. Those were so good. Um, Okay. And I want to end it on kind of a, a real note. So as a dietitian Mm -hmm. and as Amanda Sipras, what do you find is the most like frustrating trend right
1: now? Trend slash diet. So I really hate diet books. Um, so one would be Dr. Bernstein and two would be mastering diabetes. Don't tell me to rank which one I hate more because it's a tie. It's, it's a tie. Um, what I don't like about either of them is they're extreme. They're incredibly mm-hmm. extreme. They don't take your preferences into consideration and a lot of them are removing a lot of foods that have a lot of health benefits. And if veganism is something that like you personally prefer, then that's great. But that doesn't mean you need to give up avocados and oils for, you know, the oils are so healthy for our body. They're what protect our vital organs, what gives our body insulation, um, what protects our brain. Like fats have such an incredibly helpful value and mastering diabetes pretty much says no oils whatsoever. And then Dr. Bernstein is, (laughs) I would say carbophobic, if that's like a term where it really makes people afraid of carbs and also leans into the conversation that like using insulin is bad because if you eat more carbs, you have more variety in your blood sugar and then you need more insulin. So it just that's just not really true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, in essence, it's true, but it's just not that black and white.
0: Yeah. And then it makes people, yeah. Be afraid of taking insulin, which is saving their life. Like, Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, and great. if like, we weren't people with diabetes, like we literally, you know, we crank up our pen, our pot, our, our pump, whatever, however we're getting our insulin, we see those numbers people without diabetes literally have no idea what their pancreas is doing throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So why do we think like certain numbers of insulin is quote unquote bad? It's just because we're seeing the number, right? Um, And so those are probably my top two, (laughs) top two on my list because, and it sucks because They're so popular. You go on Amazon and you Google "Type 1 Diabetes Book," and Dr. Bernstein comes up as like number five with two thousand four-star or five-star reviews, and you're like, "Oh, this must be super trustworthy. He's a doctor. He has Type 1 Diabetes. The like reviews are excellent." But it's just such a big black and white approach. And anything that takes an extreme approach to me is not something that. I would support, um, unless it's again, a, a preference of someone.
0: Right. It, exactly. Like if I would say too to my clients, like if you want to eat low carb because you enjoy it, that's one thing. But if it's because of the, the, it, if it's not coming from an empowered place, then maybe let's kind of like reconsider a little bit. And yeah, yeah no, I, I
1: love that getting, <laughs> I knew those were going to be your answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have been coming up a lot in conversations lately, because they're just so incredibly popular. And it's, it's just really sad to me. Um, but also, a lot of people just don't know any better. So that's why I continue to come out here to be against that stuff. Because when you're diagnosed, and you're getting hounded with information from every direction, it you really just want someone to hold your hand. And yeah we don't really realize how damaging some of that information can be oftentimes until it's way too late. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So if people want to learn more from you, they want to hear more about what you have to say about, um, you know, your life with diabetes or just different, you know, tips and tricks around food and all that, where can they find you? Where should they look?
1: So they can follow me on Instagram at t1d.nutritionist or on my website at t1dnutritionist.com.
0: Amazing. And I'll put those in the show notes too. But thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. I think it's really nice to get this perspective and it's it's very refreshing for for especially people like us who who were diagnosed and were introduced to diabetes with all of that restrictive mentality. So thank yeah. you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Lizzie.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Keep 100 Radio. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and take a screenshot on your listening platform, upload it into Instagram stories, and tag us with your biggest takeaway. And while you're at it, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, because every single week, Stingrip is going to pick one person who leaves a review to win a free pack of patches. And believe me, guys, that these patches are so good that you don't want to miss out on an opportunity to win them
1: or free. So thank you again for tuning in, and we will catch you on next week's episode.